Amen. Thank you so much. Good morning. What a privilege to be able to gather together, worship our Lord and Savior and Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for leading us in worship, singing today, outstanding. Love for you now to take your Bibles with me, and we're going to be turning once again to the book of Acts, uh, a book that we began studying together in um, 2019. And we're making our way in Acts chapter 20 up to verse 25 this morning, carrying on where we left off last week. Last week, we were dealing with this whole matter of biblical leadership, and we're viewing that one as part one. And we're going to continue on today with part two. I want to explore with you what is taking place now as the Apostle Paul is looking in the eyes of the leadership of the elders, the church of Ephesus, who've made their way 30 miles southward from Ephesus to a setting known as Miletus. Best just to take a look at a picture appears on the screen at this point. And here was the journey that they took, the sort of roads that they would have traveled, and they would have seen flocks. They would have spotted shepherds. They would have had their minds caught up with the whole um, pastoral scene that's unfolding in front of the very eyes that most likely the Apostle Paul is now going to seize and use to his advantage in being able to explain what it is now that the leaders are going to have to be able to embrace. You're on that road. You've made your way to Miletus. You're standing there. We'll pick it up now where we left off last week, because the physician tells us in the 20th chapter of his book of Acts, and now behold, in verse 25, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that my, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This is an extraordinary leader. And what the Apostle Paul is now doing is that he is passing the baton, knowing that he's not going to be ministering in Ephesus again. And I want you to envision once again that among the seven that had disembarked from the ship with him, one, his name was Timothy, who would become pastor of the church in Ephesus down the road. And he would be drinking in each and every word now that the Apostle Paul is delivering to the leadership for you see, last words produce lasting impressions. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. 
So, our Father, we're thanking you now for what has been known scripturally as the farewell address of the Apostle Paul. And we're amazed by what we are seeing here. These are leadership principles that are transferable. They're transferable from the collected gathering of your people into home settings, transferable into work settings, transferable into the various relationships and encounters we find ourselves in. Where we're trying to figure out where's that on-ramp to be able to enter into a, a conversation with somebody about, about what matters most in life. And so this morning, Father, as we pick up where we left off last week, we're asking now that once again you would warm these hearts, that you would engage these minds, that you would shape these wheels, because again now we've come here to see Jesus and, and him only. I'm praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. As he was nearing the time to leave Illinois, the newly elected president, Abraham Lincoln, would have to say goodbye. He had gathered around him a group of leaders in Illinois that would be able to carry the torch, lead things forward. Now he was off to the setting where he would have to lead the nation. Here were his words. My friends, no one, not in my situation, can appreciate my feeling of sadness at this parting. To this place and the kindness of these people, I owe everything. For here I have lived a quarter of a century and have passed from a young to an old man. Here my children have been born. One is buried. I now leave not knowing when or whether ever I may return with a task before me greater than that which rested upon Washington. And without the assistance of the divine being, whoever attended him, I cannot succeed. But with that assistance, I cannot fail. Trusting in him who can go with me and remain with you and be everywhere for good, let us confidently hope that all will yet be well. To his care commending you, as I hope in your prayers you will commend me, I bid you an affectionate farewell. Now this is Abraham Lincoln's affectionate farewell and what we are exploring now in Acts 20, and this is the Apostle Paul's affectionate farewell. Last words leave lasting impressions. And now what the Apostle Paul wants to do is to impress upon, in particular, the leadership now of the Church of Ephesus. What matters most? 
And when leaders are committed to leading according to God's word, not their will, then we are devoted to what matters most. For as J. Oswald Saunders put it in his incredible book, Spiritual Leadership, we describe biblically-based leaders as, quote, those who years earlier dedicated themselves to practice the discipline of seeking first the kingdom of God. And then as that person matures, God confers a leadership role. And the Spirit of God goes to work through that person. So what I want to do now with this, this morning with you is to unpack two more, two more leadership principles. In this case, two significant responsibilities that God places upon those who would lead a congregation. But these are transferable principles into how you provide leadership in the workplace and how you apply leadership to the home setting. Let's explore this together. And the first comes out of verse 25 down through verse 27. That number one, biblically-based leadership, as it appears on the screen, is called by God to proclaim the word of God holistically. You're going to proclaim the word of God holistically. And let's notice where this comes from as we work these verses through together. But notice where he begins. He starts with an end now. He doesn't start with once upon a time, dealing with something which is time-bound, of the past. He is so extraordinarily contemporary that he's analyzing the trends of the moment. He's just gone through some extraordinary hardships in Ephesus that were chronicled in Acts chapter 19, didn't he? Where he faced a riot, pushback, potential persecution, all because he was communicating the whole counsel of God. He'd been there three years but now we had reached a pinnacle, a boiling point. Everything seemed to flow over, so to speak. But a church had been started. Timothy's watching. Timothy's listening. The elders have come 30 miles now southward in order to gain a sense of lasting principles as to how to shepherd these people. And he unpacks it, now with a once upon a time, But noting the trends and understanding the current events of the situation, he begins with an end now. And so should leaders. If you're going to lead in the home, you're going to lead at work, you're going to lead in the community, regionally, locally, you have to understand what's going on. Paul does. And now, and as to once again arrest the occasion of the moment he says behold another visual word what he does next is to seize a word that seems to be popping up again and again I know he used it last week he uses it again this week in our study and now behold I know that none of you he's got their attention he used the word you that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. 
And you say, Gary, what is it that he's doing here? And what is he talking about when he says proclaiming the kingdom? In Mark's gospel, Mark chronicles Jesus Christ in the early stages of his earthly ministry as saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now the Apostle Paul has said, you've seen it, you've heard it. I've gone among you proclaiming the kingdom. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom. Where do we start in fully understanding this whole matter of God's kingdom plan as it relates to his overarching master plan for humanity? You know, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 6, we're told by God that Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, so on, kings would descend from Abraham. Genesis 17, 6, Genesis 35, 11. In fact, there was one who from Moab would, would look out over the Israelites and prophetically state a ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city, Numbers chapter 24. Long ago, they had been talking about a king. Well, Israel wanted a king, and so they were begging Samuel in 1 Samuel 8, but they wanted a king to rule over us, but a king like the other nations of 1 Samuel chapter 8 to verse 7. They wanted to be like everybody else. But now, they got one, King Saul. And he was a king like all the other kings who wanted to do kingship his way. But God breaks in. And in a very powerful statement, God would make a statement in 2 Samuel 7 to one known as David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And then in verse 16 of 2 Samuel 7, your house, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And I thought about that. And because in Damascus, in Damascus, where the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, was, was going northward in order to pursue those who were part of what was then known as the way, people who knew Jesus as their Messiah. Damascus today is a sacred place in the Islamic world. And what was once a church known as the Church of St. John the Baptist, today is a mosque. And there's a dome of the tomb there, Salahidin, one of the Islamic conquerors. 
If you're in Damascus, you would hear the minarets, and there you would hear you would hear the various calls to prayer to their Allah. But let's say you're on an archaeological expedition. You've made your way into Damascus. You know that at one point that was a building known as the Church of St. John the Baptist. Now a mosque. Let's climb up the side, do a scaffolding, see what's there. Unobliterated by Islam, there are some words carved in stone. You look close. Though it had been tried to be painted over, you find these words. Thy kingdom, O Christ, is an everlasting kingdom. On that cross, it read, King of the Jews. And those opposed to Jesus would have assumed that his was not an everlasting kingdom. Three days later, he'd prove them wrong. This has so seized the attention of the apostle Paul that when he was on that road to Damascus, God breaks in. He was blinded in order to see. There's the ironies of God. There's the work of God. He's got a way, you see, of allowing the paint jobs of life to wear down until the real truth of life breaks through. Thy kingdom, O Christ, is an everlasting kingdom. What he said to David applied to David's ultimate son, Jesus Christ, second member of the Trinity. Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul. He confronted and was confronted by the risen Savior. How about you? On your road of life, has God broken? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You see, it's an end now, not a maybe tomorrow. God breaks in. You need to behold, you need to be able to say, I know. Now, here is the Apostle Paul, and he, he's, he's empowering the leaders. His soul is not a reservoir of truth. His life is a channel of truth. He's not going to keep it in. The input into his life leads to the output into other lives. So should it be for you. So should it be for I. I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom. Think about that Damascus situation on your hands here. And then he makes this powerful statement. See my, see my face again. 
And I can imagine at this point they're saying, you're my leader. We've been counting on you. We've been drinking in word by word all that you've said. We've watched day by day how you've lived. Now you're leaving? When God buries his workmen, he does not bury his work. The responsibility of leadership is to understand that we are not running solo. The responsibility of leadership is to understand that we are passing on the baton of truth in a relay. And it gets passed from one generation to the next, from one person to the next, whether it be where you work, whether it be where you live, whether it be no matter who you're related to. And so they're, they're taking in this fact that they might not see his face, but they do have the truth. You're up to verse 26 now. And in verse 26, the physician Luke tells us, therefore, <coughs> Paul said, I testify to you. Interesting word. It carries with it the, at the root of the word, the idea in the Greek, of being martyred. In other words, he was willing to sacrificially communicate truth even though he was facing high-risk situations. Now, I don't know what you're facing in life. Seize that word and be willing to take necessary biblically-based risks for the sake of passing on the baton of truth. He's doing it. So now, there you have in verse 26, I testify, therefore I testify to you this day. And then you begin to scratch your head as you read what he says next, that I am innocent of the blood of all. And you say, Gary, what on earth is he referring to at that point, the blood of all? Why is he saying that he's innocent of it all? Well, you've got to bear in mind at this point that the Apostle Paul, he plays both bass clef and treble clef. He is concerned with the sum total of biblical truth. And so now he's going to reach into the Older Testament, into Ezekiel chapter 33. And in Ezekiel chapter 33, he is going to latch hold, you see, of a statement made by God to Ezekiel about the way in which the leaders of the land of Israel were to function when they were, when the land was under siege. Let me just read a few verses from Ezekiel in chapter 33. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel tells us, Son of man, speak to your people, say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make him their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet, warns the people, and then, if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes, takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. In other words, upon the one who blew the trumpet of warning. 
He heard the sound of the trumpet, did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. And now what the Apostle Paul is doing is that he's connecting the dots between the Old Testament and what is now being experienced. He's connecting truth to trends. As should you and as should I know what's going on right now in the world. And he's saying, in essence, I blew the trumpet in Ephesus. I announced the truth. Even though there's pushback in the culture, I want you to understand then, claiming the words from Ezekiel 33, I'm innocent of the blood of all. How can he go about saying this? He says this because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Not the partial counsel of God. Now a word about our approach here with our congregation, outstanding church. We go book by book. We go verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, book by book, Older Testament and Newer Testament. And when we complete a book in the Newer Testament, then we go into the Older Testament. When we complete a book in the Older Testament, we'll go into the Newer Testament because we're committed not to partial counsel of the Word of God. We're committed, you see, to what we are calling here in your first heading. We're proclaiming the Word of God holistically, not partially. There was a group of people in a prior time known as the Valdensians. And they, they suffered persecution in Europe for their faith. Well, when they were afraid that their Bibles were going to be destroyed, you know what they did? They began to memorize their Bibles. Churches did. Families did. Individuals did. Within families, different family members would take a different section of Scripture so that a family member would memorize, as a result, an entire book of the Bible. In 1260, one of the persecutors said, I have heard people out in the country who used to recite the book of Job word for word. Many others knew the whole New Testament perfectly. So what we're doing at this point then is we are saying that as a congregation we are committed to the whole, not the partial counsel of God. That means then that when you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, you end up emphasizing things to the same degree that God's Word does. Now, I've been here a few years, and we've gone through a few books, 20-some thus far, and so we emphasize things to the same degree that God does. And if we find ourselves wanting something emphasized that thus far has not been emphasized, we are going to have to start wondering whether or not that's what God emphasizes. You see? That's why we don't choose our topics. We allow God's word to speak and let God choose the topics verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And believe me, there's more topics he can come up with than we can. And that's the approach that we take here when we're dealing with proclaiming the whole, not the partial, 
counsel of God. That's what makes a strong church. And that's what makes a strong family. And that's what makes a strong person in a very weak culture. Now, biblically-based leadership is called by God, first of all, to proclaim the word of God holistically, not partially, where all the parts are connected to the whole. And once we've grasped that, then we're ready for the second responsibility that the Apostle Paul is unpacking for the leadership of the church of Ephesus. That second of all, biblically-based leadership is called by God to protect the church of God vigilantly. You proclaim the word of God holistically, as you see at the end of verse 27, you protect the church of God vigilantly, and now you pick it up with me in verse 28. So every board member, every Awana leader, every youth leader, every Christian education teacher, every committee chair, ponders all of these things now. It begins with the first phrase, starts with you. Pay careful attention to yourselves. So we examine the whole counsel of God and we apply it now to our own life, to our own hearts. And he's challenging us to be vigilant because we can get faked out in life. Steve Green tells the story about a time in which he and his worship team were getting to know some of the work crews in a large auditorium where they were holding their concerts. The worship team that he was part of, they preferred their concerts in the round, which meant that extra workers, extra work for the riggers who walked the four-inch rafter beams, often a hundred, feet above the concrete floor to hang sound speakers and spotlights. He writes, for such work, understandably, they were well paid. The men I talked to weren't bothered by the sight of looking down a hundred feet, he went on to say. But what they didn't like were jobs and buildings that had false ceilings. Those buildings that had acoustic tile slung just a couple of feet below the rafters. Yep, they were still high in the air, and if they slipped, their weight would smash right through the flimsy tile. Here's the worry. Their minds seemed to play tricks on them, lulling them into carelessness, as if those tiles would keep them from descending all the way. His words, unquote. Now, what we find here at this point is that the apostle is going to work a sequence starting with the leader. Be careful, pay careful attention to yourself. And then he adds, and to all the flock. Not some of them. There's going to be some whose personalities are going to rub you the wrong way. 
It's what happens in the church of God. God is a way of taking his grace and applying it to people that otherwise you wouldn't have hung with. And now all of a sudden you found out that person's my brother in Christ. That person's my sister in Christ. Now what we have in common is greater than the personalities that separate us, greater than the experiences of life that separate us. We are bound by what matters and who matters most. It's the flock. Now I can imagine. You've tracked and trekked those 30 miles to Miletus. And there you are, and you're hearing the Apostle Paul saying, uh, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and the Greek word for overseer at this point is the episkopoi, where we get the word episcopalian from. Interestingly, back in verse 17, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, and the word elder, presbyterioi, carries with the idea of presbyterian. How do you link all this together? Elder is the position. Episcopoi, you see, is the function. So he's saying, elders, your responsibility is to episcopoi, to oversee, to watch over the people, the church of God. Notice not, it's not your church, it's God's church. It cares with ownership. And so to emphasize ownership, notice he goes on to say, obtained with his own blood. And when I spent time examining carefully the Greek this week, developing a structure to see how the outline broke down, it means literally, which he purchased with the blood of his own one, whom we know is Jesus Christ. So now you're to shepherd the flock. So let's say now that somewhere in the course of the week or maybe after service today, you stop by the church library and there's a, a picture there on the wall in the library. Same picture that is next to the piano in the living room back home. You've peered at it perhaps before. Worth looking at it again. Let's do who, what, where, when, why, how. Look at the time of day. It's late. It's the shortening winter's day is near a close, is the title of the picture. It's late in the day. Look at this man. He's alone. Sometimes the leadership of this church is doing something that others simply don't see. And it's the end of the day experience. And they're doing it alone. But God sees. Notice he's, he's got the food for the sheep. It's on his back. And if you analyze this picture carefully, you realize there's been a trek. He's gone from somewhere to get there and you have to wonder is he tired this leader this pastor this elder whomever it might be look at the conditions it's 
kind of like today. Man, not ideal. You came in, maybe you're, maybe the temperature read below zero. I wonder what it's there. But doesn't stop him. He doesn't come to just simply take a peek and then leave. No, he's got food. And he makes his way through the gate. And what you'll notice here is that, well, this flock, this flock is not all grouped together, are they? Probably wishes they were. Wishes they were all close together. He's tromping through the snow, and there are some that are close. They're hungry. They've been waiting for him, longing to be fed. A little like a church, eh? You'll notice that there's another few, a little bit younger. Maybe they're in the Christian education, off to the side, watching how the older ones position themselves to be fed well. People in your family, extended family, they need to see how week by week you position yourself to be fed well, you see. Don't live on a starvation diet. But then the shepherd says, man, I wish they would all group together. I wouldn't have to go trekking out much more. But there's more. They're, they're, they're practicing social distancing, you see. They're back a little bit. They're checking this out. They want to make sure, is this my kind of food? We'll see how the ones close take to the food first before we dig in. They're there. But off in the balcony, you see, is still another group. Uh, more removed. They are watching. They are observing. They're going to make certain that everybody else, you see, has, has not only been fed, but they haven't uh, gotten sick. And then maybe they'll step forward. You notice in your upper right-hand corner, there's some, they just seem to be so disengaged. It's almost as if they're foraging for their own food, looking for truth in all the wrong places, you see. But then your eyes descend to the lower right-hand corner. And there's that one. And he's heading in the wrong direction. Is that a family member? Is that a co-worker, a friend, someone that you might have poured yourself into, whether it be in the church or elsewhere, and now they seem as though they're heading in a different direction than laid out for them? That's the life of the shepherd. And you communicate truth both in season and out, and you're going to get tired. And you keep on keeping on. And God gives you the strength and God gives you the stamina to do even when people are not even paying attention. Because you're doing it for God. God's will. God's way. Not God's will your way. You see. Back to the text. You're up to verse 29. And you get to another I know. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And Timothy, you better listen carefully because what he will eventually say in First and Second Timothy, well, that comes to pass. And you're processing now this scene as the Apostle Paul is about to leave Miletus. 
And among, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. quarry, the musk oxen bunched in what seemed to be an impenetrable semicircle. He writes, their deadly rear hooves facing out while the calves remained safe during a long standoff with the enemy. But listen. But just then, a single ox broke rank all of a sudden, the herd scattered into little groups. A skirmish ensued. The adults finally fled in panic, leaving the calves at the mercy of the predators because they broke rank. Now, could it be there's a link between 29 and 30? I know that my departure, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and now all of a sudden you find on verse 30, they break rank. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. They take a deep breath, these elders do. They're pondering the 30-mile trek from Ephesus to Miletus. They've seen the flocks along the way. And now I can see this brilliant leader, the Apostle Paul, leaning forward. He's taught them to proclaim the word of God holistically. He's challenging them to protect the church of God vigilantly. You need a therefore. And here it comes. Therefore, be alert. In other words, be vigilant. Know the times. Know the circumstances, but know the Savior. Be alert, remembering for, that for three years I did not cease. Now here's a leader. Night or day, to admonish everyone with ears, which is what General Pershing did. Where at the close of the First World War, Pershing General Pershing said this to the leadership that were around him, those he had poured his life into. I have known Jesus Christ now for 47 years. I could not face life, nor the trials of life, nor the battles we have endured without him. It's no small thing to know that all the past is forgiven that help is available from God every day. And then he paused, stared him in the eyes, and ended with these words. I commend to you such a Savior, my Lord, my Savior. 
Jesus Christ. And then he departed. Last words leave lasting impressions. Let's stand together. Keep raising up great leaders. We have them in this congregation. We have had them in this congregation. By your grace, we will have them in this congregation. But may we take the twofold responsibilities, proclaiming the word of God holistically, protecting the church of God vigilantly, wrap them together and relate them to the times in which we live. Timeless truths for these changing times. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.